They say there's nothing new under the sun, but under the ground. We head back to Perfection, Nevada to celebrate the 30th birthday of Tremors, the greatest movie ever made about giant worms. As Tenet, Spider-Man and A Quiet Place get pushed back again, we ask when we'll be seeing a blockbuster on the big screen again. Comic Con at home happened, but was there anything worth talking about? We'll talk about it to find out. I'm Richard Edwards. I'm Tanavi Patel. I'm Dave Bradley. And there's all this plus Frightfest, Bill and Ted in Robbie the Robot's Waiting, the podcast that gets beneath the surface of sci-fi. Hello. Hey there. Hi. How's it going? Great, thank you. Yeah, not Looking bad. forward to recording another podcast. Last week's one seems to have gone down pretty well. Very, very grateful for all the positive feedback. I think we'll start where we started last week. So what have you been enjoying over the last couple of weeks? I have been watching Cursed on Netflix. Ah, Netflix's take on the Arthurian legend, which doesn't actually focus on King Arthur. No, it's the origin no. of uh, Lady of the Lake, isn't it? Absolutely, Nimue, yeah, yeah. Um, it's... Um, now, I should say that, uh, as you know, uh, my my tolerance for kind of hokey fantasy is is, is pretty high. So um, your your experience <laughs> might, may vary, but but I'm actually quite quite enjoying it. In, in a, I, I saw some pretty negative feedback on um, social media about it, and kind of being compared unfavorably to Game of Thrones and Witcher and the like. And and I think that's that's kind of unfair for for me. It, it almost occupies the same kind of spaces. Merlin, uh, sure. it's got a it's got a little bit of a of a tea time vibe about it. Oh, the the occasional uh, gory bit of bloodshed and um, and some interesting mutations, a bit a bit of grotesqueness and so on. But but actually, it's 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 kind of quite kind of quite twee uh, and, and quite cheerful. Uh, I don't know if either of you been watching it. The first episode, and yeah, I agree with you. It's it's quite sweet. It's definitely you know for the YA crowd. Um, and it, it reminded me of shows more like the Shannara Chronicles, which is, you know, fantasy, YA, you know, and it's a bit lighter. And I think it's still, I mean, it's it's Netflix, so it's got great production value. They've obviously spent quite a bit on the costumes and things. Um, it's quite a green cast. I mean, the, the lead, I think, is from 13 Reasons Why. And the Merlin in this situation is another, there's another Skarsgård out there. A little bit for Nicole Williamson's look from Excalibur, wasn't he? Yeah, there's a little I bit probably. of that, that kind of mad, same madness about it, isn't there? Yeah, um, I think so. Uh, He's good though. He's definitely engaging. I think there there are actually some great characters in it. Not necessarily the leads. I mean, I think Peter Mullen as the um, as the zealous uh, father from the Red Paladins is great. He's very watchable. Um, you know, very enjoyable. And actually, that's kind of one of the things that I I, I quite like about it. For all its its kind of um, hokey fantasy um, ways, and it's kind of slight, slightly kind of YAT time vibe. Actually, I should say the with this kind of animations at the credits and the interstitials and stuff. It actually reminded me a bit of Musketeers. You know, it's got a little that vibe <laughs> about it. It's got some actually some great moments in it where it's got that kind of slightly um, sort of uh, hokey filmed in a forest kind of thing. And then suddenly there'll be a horse riding by on fire or it'll cut to Merlin mm. on on a kind of hilltop kicking down crucifixes or something. There's a, just the kind of moments I think of really good filmmaking, just just mm. kind of in there in the odd scene. And then, uh, you know, there's a subtext here as well, isn't there, going on? I think it's quite bold the fact that the villains are conservative christians essentially is what was happening yeah. in the story you know and 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 the fact the pope rocks up as a as a as the kind of darth vader figure at one point as well you know there, there's there, there's a lot of it is about the persecution of the of the fey folk and there's an underground railroad going on to take people away from from kind of being enslaved
saved by the um, by, by by the by the Christians and their yeah. red paladin soldiers. And so, I, I think it's sort of silly. A lot of it is silly, but but it's actually it's 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 it's, it's sort of evolving in quite an interesting way. I think, even though it's obviously a period drama fantasy, like I think the cast were talking about how it's you know the themes there, the justice, senseless war, that demonization of others, and like the you know sins in the name of the Father in the name of God. All those themes are still pretty relevant. So it's yeah, just done yeah, in absolutely. a really cool way with <laughs> Camelot you know, um, sort of characters that place. we all know. Ham and jam and spam a lot. I've been watching Umbrella Academy as well, which sounds terrible to say now because it was obviously something I should have watched a while ago. And I did, I remember a couple of years ago when it first came out, um, skimming through it really quickly because I had to do an interview with Tom Hopper and then thinking I really should go back and watch this properly. And so I finally did it this week and, um, yeah. Well, of course, season two is here on exactly. the 31st of July. So this is the perfect time to watch season yeah. one. I timed it well then. Okay. <laughs> I can't wait for season two. I thought Umbrella Academy was great, actually. I mean, I, I liked it. It's definitely, it's funny, isn't it? You go through bits where it's comic bookish to cartoonish and then other moments which feel almost like Tarantino filmed them, you know, with the music and the setting. And it's, it's very cool, but it's very weird. And I know that that's their, like, theme for season two is like weird family with weird problems but it does feel very weird a lot of the time <laughs> um and then I, well, i've seen I think, it described as what, what someone described it as wes anderson uh doing the avengers <laughs> which i think is a really cool way of putting it yeah because i think it's isn't it supposed to be a parody of the x-men there is a lot of x-men in it yeah <laughs> yeah so it makes sense that way but i think if like for me my favorite characters were actually klaus and five um and just watching them because the rest of them i think in a way they've they're messed up but i i didn't feel for them as much as i did for those two and i thought it was really interesting how five got really obsessed with figuring out everything and i like the way that he can just jump through time it's almost like cooler than the sort of the other powers in a way i mean klaus is great because it's robert sheehan who we know from um oh, from or misfits from yeah, misfits was, which i yeah that's where he I, broke out didn't he love misfits and um again that, that was a similar another kind of take on the superhero team up where where it was um you know it was young offenders uh, people on community service team, teaming up with and getting the powers and he and he played a similarly kind of slightly irritating but ultimately sympathetic character <laughs> in that as well but no he's great he's great as klaus I like that. Slightly irritating. That's kind of a good way to describe them. I mean, that's his agent giving people a call. Do you need anyone slightly irritating for your next movie? I got the guy for He's you. He's the right guy. Yeah. Oh God, I hope he doesn't take offense to that, but he's good at it. It's a compliment. So I've been back in time. I've been, I've rewatched uh, Pitch Black for the first time in a long time. Oh wow. Because ah. there is a new Arrow special edition uh, Blu-ray coming out in August. Oh, okay. Amazing. And it's, it's still a great film. I mean, it, you know, so many films with aliens killing people try to be alien and it kind of doesn't because it's got mm. that really cool hook with the stay out of the dark or, or the monsters will get you. Yeah. Vin Diesel in still one of his best roles, I think, you know, not to diss Fast and the Furious, but, you know, Riddick in that film where you don't <laughs> know what Dave. he's going to do next. <laughs> yeah. You don't yeah. know. You don't know if he's going to kill people. You don't know if he's more dangerous than the monsters. Is he a hero? Is he not? It, it, there's so much ambiguity about him. And 
you know, just the way it's shot, those desert scenes where, where they've got that sort of bleached out effect mm. and it looks like nothing else. And, and when they change the different suns and they're slightly different colours, it's yeah. so effective. Yeah, oh, it's an amazingly shot film. It's, it's great. I, li- I love Pitchback, and, and you're right. That Riddick becomes a different character later on. I'm, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't dislike Chronicles of Riddick and, and so on, but but in Pitchback, there's something about him and his the fact that they they you know he's a the start certainly considered you know a psychopath and a criminal and so on. There's, there's a touch of the kind of Rio Bravo or Assault on Precinct 13 about it, isn't there? Where the where mm-hmm. the ostensibly the good guys and ostensibly the bad guys have to team up because there's a greater a greater force coming coming down on them. Yeah. But that's one of the clever things about the film, though, because it doesn't really give you good guys and bad guys. So yeah, the guy yeah. who you think is a cop is actually a, a mercenary after Riddick. Mm. And then the pilot, um, played by Rada Mitchell, who you think is going to be a he- you know, the hero, and she's kind of that. But at the beginning, she's going to jettison the entire uh, inventory of passengers because she thinks that she's got to save oh, yeah, the, the two people so in the dark. front. So, so, you know, everybody in it, is massively flawed and that's i think what makes it great the story of this year at the cinema has been movies being postponed because of coronavirus and it's happened again because tenet uh, the new christopher nolan movie which was originally meant to be out in the middle of july then it was meant to be out at the end of july then it was out meant to be out in the middle of august and then it got postponed again now at the moment it's looking like it's going to be the end of august uh, in the uk and some other territories maybe selected cinemas in the united states but this is becoming a bit of a theme and, and yeah. is it starting to feel like, you know, are we ever going to see this movie? <laughs> well, I think it's more of a theme now. I think, so the Hollywood Reporter, which is one of the main trades, I guess we call it like a standard industry inside a magazine. They were saying that, that they think that's like the normal, that's going to be the new normal, the sort of standard distribution model. And it's going to be in a staggered release over Asia and Europe and then into certain cinemas in the west and yeah i so i think if they do it that way i think we will see it but we might not see it first i think it might be i don't know china or someone first well that's kind of moved away from what we've we've got used to hasn't it a few years ago britain it was the common thing that we'd see movies weeks months years after america and, and then all the release dates came together and now this idea of them being staggered and and maybe more than you know, a week or two, mm. that's really alien. And Well, it also, I, you wonder about the longevity of a model like that because of the fact that if it's out in somewhere in the world, it's basically out. So who's going to wait five months to watch it, um, you know, it, in England or potentially in America? You have to think, you know, is piracy going to take hold and things like that? You don't know. So, and I don't know if they look at it as a standard model or a new model or whether that will just be the temporary pandemic sort of um, patch really on the distribution and and whether they'll go back. And then there's obviously all the kind of legal implications. Like they're already, I know like the studio, the cinemas are trying to sue the studios and the studios trying to sue someone else because nobody really knows who's to blame in a way. I mean, you look at the films that are going back. I mean, you, Quiet Place 2 is going to end up being out of spring next year, which is a year after it was originally meant to be out. Mm. Spider-Man 3 is now going to be November, uh, December 2021, which was originally July, uh, which, of course, being in the Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of has a knock-on effect on right. other Marvel movies with them all being interconnected. It, it's kind of, well, it, it is an unprecedented situation. The studios have been putting out movies through on-demand services. Uh, there was the Trolls movie earlier 
earlier this year, which did spectacularly well. Bill and Ted Face the Music is going to be getting a simultaneous release on um, on demand as at the same time as the cinema. And, and yeah. that kind of changes the ball game, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think it's, you know, I, I, I would imagine that at the moment, if you can get a movie out, you're pretty, you know, you're doing so much better than most people and you've got less competition. So in a way, it makes sense to try and get them out in whichever way you can at the moment. I think potentially things like Bill and Ted 3, even though Bill and Ted originally apparently didn't do so well in cinema, is going to do amazingly now. (laughs) Doesn't um, the new Mutants trailer from Comic-Con make a joke with the fact that it's been postponed a dozen times? Yeah, it does. I love that. that. (laughs) I mean, that that film is never coming out. (laughs) (laughs) Of Mutants, I should call it. I was going to say they're going to be dangling in the distance that we are never going to reach. It's it's just like infinity. It's it's just an impossible concept. So, so I mean, Bill, Bill and Ted, you know, that's not going to be a billion dollar blockbuster. It, it's it's got an audience probably, but then it's not going to be like an Avengers type movie. But mm. Tenet, that is a big deal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, cinemas are going to be desperate for that to sort of come out in cinemas. Christopher Nolan is going to be desperate for it to be in cinemas because he loves the big screen. Yeah. But do you think that studios have a responsibility to actually protect cinemas in this, this regard to, to not take their big releases away from the cinemas to make sure that there is still a cinema industry after this is over? I think that their priority will lie with money, whichever way that swings things. So to me, yes, you'd want to hope that they would take some responsibility to look to the future and, and preserve what there is and whether or not that means that in the short term, it makes things a bit more complicated, but I don't have much faith that that is what will happen. And to be honest, things have changed so much in the last few years that that I suspect it will continue to keep changing. And that sort of dynamic means that, you know, if if they take a risk now, it's difficult to know if it'll pay off if you years year or two down the line i mean arguably one of the biggest movies of the year will be the new bond film and that is still scheduled to open in cinemas first isn't it i believe later in the year that's november yes yeah, yeah. so that, that'll, that'll be interesting i mean you'd, you'd have to hope that, that we'd be able to return there and that's that that would be i think in any in any year one of the biggest movies so it'll be interesting to see mm. what, what happens there i mean i i think in terms of um movies being available at home i think it's it's kind of um there's been a, there's a sort of a move towards streaming services anyway netflix and disney and 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 so on and and i i i kind of i'd like going to the cinema but i also appreciate that the 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 luxury of being able to go to a cinema and pay yeah 12 pounds for a ticket and and uh and and have is you know it's not available to everyone and so there's something that i quite like about the democratization of films that streaming services bring anyway you know i think i think that there's kind of a move towards people People having the you know the films they want to see available um, on demand at home and you know on their on, on their phone or whatever that you know they might be able to yeah. you know even which maybe not be might not be what Christopher Nolan would like people to see his film on but mm. but not everyone can go to the cinema you know that and, and even outside of a pandemic but at the same time there is the wonderful collective experience of seeing a film on the big oh. screen together you know are you, I love imagine, it. Yeah, I love it. how cool was Avengers Endgame with all those people mm. you know when. Uh, Captain America picks up Thor's hammer. Everyone in the cinema gasped. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, fortunately, on your own, you don't get that. And the cinema is like that. You know, it's yeah. such a commute. Well, when it when it's the right movie, it's such a communal experience. Well, I think that's the key. I think it's when it's the right movie. And recently, we've been really lucky. I mean, a lot of the biggest movies ever have come out in recent times, and so 
I think as long as they're making great movies, people will go to cinema to see them. But with the streaming services and all the other platforms, I think there's more niche stuff, less smaller productions, um, and just more stories that can be told and that you can see. And that variety, I think, is not a bad thing. And if the um, cinema was in your area was to open tomorrow, would you would you go under the current circumstances? I mean, observing all the rules, one presumes, but... Were you ready to return to the cinema personally? I'd be very, very tempted. If it was the right movie, you know, the idea of going to see Tenet, for example, on the big screen, you know, I love Christopher Nolan movies. It's going to be a movie that looks fantastic. I can't wait to see that. I'd love it if they had, they used to have it here and there's a race course down the road from where I live and they did the open cinema and the drive-in cinemas. They need to bring those back because those were ideal, right? The way to watch it on the big screen with, you know, a big group, but be socially distanced and be safe That's so exactly yeah, I, driving. I hadn't thought that. of that how amazing yeah i'd be up for that well drive-ins yeah. are happening and i really would love to go and see a drive-in properly because in a, it, we've got just, a race just, course and that's where they yeah. do it <laughs> it's, it's just and it's just one of those things that, that's meant to be in 50s american movies yeah. you know or happy days so yes more <laughs> drive-ins please okay i think that just about wraps us up for coronavirus and cinemas and when we'll be back watching movies uh join us in a sec when we will be talking about tremors in our rewind section Welcome to part two of Robbie the Robot's Waiting. Uh, joining us for this is Rosie Fletcher, UK editor of Den of Geek. Hi, Rosie. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. So, what have you been enjoying in the sci-fi fantasy world over the last couple of weeks? Um, well, now, I have to say that the thing that's taken the most of my time is that I, like many people, have been redoing Buffy. Um, but I've really like put my back into it, and I'm on. Um, I'm, I'm nearing the end of season seven. Uh, so, yeah, it's pretty exciting pretty addictive um i know you guys chatted about it last time but yeah I, I have a full pretty definitive which season is good and which season is bad now in my head so love, love all that obviously dyed my hair i don't know if for for the listeners at home i've gone i've gone a, a dark willow um <laughs> shade of red uh, so yeah love that um yeah which was your favorite season then um well season two is brilliant Season three is brilliant. Season four is terrible, except it's got one or two good episodes. Five oh, is, is, season four one, is season four the one with Adam? Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> season yeah. six is absolutely terrific, but it's very soap opera. Um, and seven is not very soap opera and has kind of become all portents of doom and everyone's dying. It's good, but like six is probably six and maybe two and three are the, the sweet spots I would Another thing that I've loved, um, particularly now we're on lockdown, is I don't know whether you guys have listened to the um, audio book, or I'm even going to say audio movie, of um, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. I haven't heard it yet. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's about 11 hours of of listening. Um, It's not an audio book because it's not just a person reading the book. And, of course, it's graphic novels. It's, like, redone with, like, an all-star cast. So, like, McAvoy is Morpheus, Kat Dennings is Death. It's got, like, loads of, like, um, Riz Ahmed as the Corinthian. Um, 
Samantha Morton is an element girl. It's got like just an absolutely terrific cast. And also it's got Neil Gaiman as the narrator sort of filling in and, and sort of telling you the story in this incredible sort of slightly meta way that wow. the man who created the world of the dreaming is now infiltrating your brain and leading you by the hands through that world. And it's really good. I, I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. And even more so on lockdown because um, I spoke to Neil and he was telling me that it wasn't finished. By the time lockdown happened, it wasn't finished. And so they'd had to ship a studio to James McAvoy so that he could carry on doing it. So he has now a studio in his house so that they could finish it. And I thought, my God, what an amazing thing to be able to create while we're all just shut in and, you know, trying <laughs> to entertain ourselves. Uh, and the other thing I've been enjoying is Mallory. I don't know whether you guys have read it yet. Uh, no, I mean, my daughter is obsessed with Mallory Towers, but I think this is different. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, this is the sequel to Bird Box. So I don't know whether you guys read that or saw that when it was on Netflix. Um, obviously, the book is better than the film because it's one of those books that people say is unfilmable and kind of is a little bit because it's about this concept of uh, these creatures existing in the world. And if humans look upon them, they go instantly mad and kill themselves, basically. And this is the, the direct follow up following the character of Mallory. Um, 12 years later uh, and that again is one I would uh, well the ending's a bit rushed and a bit weird but other than that that's one I'd super recommend now I didn't give you your full title when I introduced you because you are horror expert Rosie Fletcher <laughs> and the uh, the lineup for Fright Fest uh, has just been announced the the major horror festival at the end of August yeah. um, uh, what can you tell us about this year's lineup because obviously it's gonna be a little bit different this year because it's not live yes it's absolutely true so I was just just as an aside my uh, my old uh colleague Hugh used to refer to me as the insidious queen as if that was a, a compliment in some way but I'll take, I'll <laughs> I'll take, take it I'll take it I'll take horror expert um but yeah so Fright Fest this year uh it'll be the 21st Fright Fest um and it's not it's it's virtual it's digital and it, it has to be it's the August bank holiday weekend and it, that's way too soon for like thousands of people to be gathering together um in one tiny pub in Leicester Square because let's be frank that is what we're talking about as much as the movie is it like breakfast is a massive kind of community event where um just hundreds of thousands of thousands of horror fans get together so what they've tried to do which I think is a brilliant initiative they are going to do a live event in I think uh, it's end of October but for August rather than not have it um they've they've got a a virtual program and it's still happening over the bank holiday weekend and it's happening like with a sort of a preview night on Thursday as it would have done and that's um I don't know whether you, you know the guys at the evolution of horror but they are doing a, a quiz so that's free to enter and that'll be a lot of fun and then they're screening sky sharks um which is about some Nazi zombies riding flying sharks of course so if you, you know if you need to know any more about that it's probably not for you <laughs> um, but that's that's the Thursday night. I have to say, when you said sky sharks, I thought oh, is this a Sharknado thing? And then you just went off onto a whole other plane like, of, uh, of storytelling. Yeah, is, I mean, is there any film that can't be improved with the word sharks? <laughs> I think there's four films on Friday, and then eight Saturday, and seven on Sunday. And just if I may, a quick plug: seven on Sunday because the other event on Sunday is happening. Is that? Um, Den of Geek, uh, as hosted by me, is running a horror, a horror in lockdown panel. So that'll be, again, um, that'll be free. It won't be geolocked. Anyone can come and uh, listen, a watch, in fact. And it'll be me and some celebrity guests from the horror industry talking about like what's happening to the genre now that a lot of productions have shut down. Um, what does it mean for release dates? What does it mean for the genre in, in general? What does it mean for the stories people want to tell? We'll have a... a, a fairly famous writer on the on the panel he'll be talking about that 
um, and also what it, what does it mean for audiences and what we want to watch. So it's a 90-minute panel, and that is at 7 p.m. on Sunday. So love it if you could come over. So that's Sunday the... Sunday the 30th of August, that will be. Now, I'm delighted because you've given me the most amazing segue because I actually now get to say from Sky Sharks to Land Sharks because Land Sharks was an early hey. title of Tremors uh, <laughs> and that's the movie we're talking about in our Rewind section. Um, so Tremors, uh, that is a film that I fell in love with when I first saw it. It must have been about 13 years old. I remember watching it in my bedroom. I was meant to be in bed. I watched it on my black and white TV and thought it was amazing and then said to my parents in the morning, did you see that movie Tremors? Yes, it was fantastic. I could have watched it downstairs. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I still think it's fantastic. I mean, watching it now, how, how did you guys feel about it? Um, I think it's a film that may have been considered underrated for a long time. Do you think yeah. now it's rated? I loved it. I mean, I I was wondering whether after having not seen it for you know twenty odd years that it would just not hold up. But I absolutely loved it, and it was riveting. And even though I knew what was happening. It was great. The funniest thing about it was when I watched it as a kid, to me, it truly was a horror. I had to watch it like um, kind of kind of hiding behind my dad and, um, and my hands and then had nightmares about it, but still loved it. Um, and now it just felt much more lighthearted, like what comedy. And then I was thinking, is it a dark comedy or is it a lighthearted horror? I don't know. But that bromance between like Val and Earl and the kind of silliness of the general townsfolk and then the kind of, um, I don't know, sort of gung-ho sort of heroism that you see, it's just fun. It's just really good fun. Like you, I um, uh, I have memories of it being a horror film. And I have to say, although I, I have... Uh, you know, a lot of fondness for um, for films from that period. For whatever reason, I hadn't seen Tremors in, uh, in in 20 years either. And in my head, it was a horror film. And I'd forgotten things like pole vaulting around the desert. Yeah. <laughs> I'd forgotten that stuff. That, that is such a beautiful shot, though. That, <laughs> it's so funny. It? Silhouette, it looks amazing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like like you, I was surprised about how uh, how kind of slapstick a lot of it was. But, um, yeah. but yeah, great. I still think it is a horror movie, and and I and I still found it really quite scary, actually. Or or tense might be a different thing. And um and weirdly, what uh what really struck me about it? So, Rich, you were mentioning that the original title was Landsharks, and of course, you know, of course, you'd go, well, it's got references or inspirations from Jaws. But like when I watched it, I thought, oh, this is basically a quiet place. Only this is a quiet place where they've understood that actually the answer isn't to be quiet, it's to be noisy. And that was like the big weird plot hole in a quiet place. It's just like, make loads of noise somewhere else, stop being so quiet all the time. And Tremors gets that and it was like, oh wow. So I had that same sort of anxiety that I felt when I was watching A Quiet Place, which I do love by the way. So when I was watching it, I was all tensed up and like, oh, oh, and it keeps getting worse and it keeps getting worse, more and more hopeless. And yeah, I don't know, I thought it was very tense. I realised that despite the fact that it's been silly and all the things, they're actually not ridiculous. Their plans to distract the, the creature or to get away or to defend themselves or to get, are actually all pretty sensible all the time. They don't yeah. do anything ridiculous like split up or, or kind of run around in circles. They, they actually, they, they tend to make quite sensible choices within, within that, the context of the, of the, the universe. Well, it's a, it's a very simple idea as well, isn't it? This, mm. this idea, just stay off the ground. I mean, yeah. Netflix has made a TV show with this idea, Floor is Lava. It, it's basically Tremors without worms. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's the genius of Tremors though, isn't it? Because if it had just been that, then it would have 
got boring pretty quickly but because it's like i know but they're really clever so they've invented it the the worms have invented a new plan they're gonna knock down your foundations are they're gonna eat your car and you know like i thought that was again a really clever way to pit and again that's more like jaws i think quite blessed but like to pit man against beast well, I think it is incredibly Spielberg-y, though. You know, the, you mentioned the car there where it gets pulled underground mm. and you see the headlights point, yeah. sort of pointing into the sky and then the soil goes over them and you can no longer see them or the, the fence posts knocking over. You know, it really is this kind of... It, it's just so inspired by Spielberg, I think. Mm. Those and effects, it, I read somewhere that they were um, largely inspired by budgetary requirements, right? Because I think, I think the, maybe, I'm sure I read an interview that the original script had the, you seeing the car being taken below the surface and they just couldn't afford to do it or they couldn't do it right with the materials they had. So the the effect of the lights pointing into the sky and you sort of see it over the ridge was, you know, a, a kind of a the child of necessity really, but it, it totally works. Because it has that ability also, I think, to to draw you in, whether you're a horror fan or not, whether you're 8 or 80, it, it works. And, and it's funny because, again, in terms of necessity, they decided, I think, very last minute to change it from like an R-rated film to a, a PG family film. And so that's why they've got words like mother humpers and things yeah. like that. And, and, that <laughs> and it kind of works. Exactly. And I was like, it would have been a different film if they hadn't done that. And I don't know if I would have liked it as much. And I, yeah, and I was that girl who was running, like, you know, trying to get around my room without touching the floor and making all those games. And it was in it because it was just such a great concept. So I, I'm glad that they did have budget problems and they, they did need to sell sell like more cinema tickets so they made it family film because it made it just worked for them and it did have it like my my friend said yesterday it has a goonies kind of feel to it and i think i think she's right i think that's very cool about all the characters they're kind of odd but believably odd and even though they're completely different and they bicker you know you've got the survivalist couple you've got valanil the height andy men they bicker but they feel like a family yeah yeah do you think it's aged well in terms of politics i asked this because i it it was noticeable that um the uh the asian shop owner even though he's quite a big character in it is one of the only real main main characters he gets killed and it was a bit like oh you didn't have to do that but okay and i mean i thought the way the gender points that was very interesting because obviously um val and earl are set up as kind of redneck sort of like they're both a bit awful and he's gone going on about the long hair and the great tears and the other one's like oh you always go for me like that and they're a waste of space it's like what shut up but by <laughs> by the end you realize that actually they're both kind of heroes and, and almost that hickishness yeah. of them is part of the appeal that they're you know they're all they wanted to do is leave town and yeah. now they've ended up saving town Rhonda has a slightly um thankless role in that she has to do the all the exposition it's basically does anyone know anything about geology does anyone know anything about <laughs> ancient animals yeah, let's ask Rhonda. She keeps saying, why are you asking me? And then it's like, all right. But like, but also, well, a bit ago, you were really like um, spry because you were the first one who did the pole vaulting. Good work. But then later, she's like, I can't get up on the roof. Save me. And it's a bit like, well, you're supposed to be the spry one. Like, if you don't know anything about anything, and like, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I mean, it's not that kind of movie. I know that. I, I liked it a lot. It's just interesting seeing something from from 1990 and looking at it at 20 with with 2020 eyes yeah. I, I, just going back to the beginning of the movie it's so efficient in terms of the way it builds things up you know you you, you first of all you meet val and earl and you know they're they're sort of been camping out and, and they you get a bit of their relationship and then they meet Rhonda and she says oh there's some weird seismic activity uh, they meet everyone in the village in the town and it, it kind of 
it's just this sort of little roadmap of how to establish a movie. It's a really good bit of storytelling. Yeah, you're right. And um, another thing that I love about it is it, it is essentially a siege movie, but it's a siege movie set in the open air in the desert, basically, which is almost like a concept that you can't understand. So a little for a little bit of time, it's a siege movie set in that shop, but they keep expanding it until it's like, well, now we're going to live on this rock forever. And like, how, how amazing to have this, in, you know, enormous, beautiful kind of open air vista, but you can't go in the water. I mean, as in, well, the sand, obviously, but yeah. it, that's the same, you know, that's a, that's a concept that, that has sort of existed in things like the shallows or more recently or whatever. But this, I, I love that idea of like a siege movie mm-hmm. in the open air. Yeah. It's that's really amazing. Fun. That's a really good way to look at it. I also like the fact that they don't actually make any attempt to explain where the creatures came from. Uh, I don't know whether they did that in any of the later sequels. I've not, I've not seen them. Um, but, but there's no, no one tries to cl- claim that they're aliens or that they're, you know, mutations from a local nuclear power plant or well, something. They just, they, they just they joke about it. Yeah. They, do joke they, they never it. establish yeah. it. Yeah. They're more busy trying to name them, <laughs> which is so true. Like, I think that's probably what happened. <laughs> Does it make you want to go and watch the sequels or do you just think, let's leave it where it is? I mean, Tremors 3 as well has the the later evolution of the species, the ass blasters that can fire stuff out of their bottoms and fly. <laughs> like, well, they're flying making... like a sky shark. <laughs> yes, you see, everything is sort of coming back to sky sharks. I enjoyed it so much that I felt like if I started to watch the sequel, I watched kind of the trailers, for the sequels, and then I thought, no, I want to leave it as it is because <laughs> it'll start to ruin it if I start watching ass blasters and all that stuff. Yeah, so I've never seen any of the sequels, and I don't have an appetite for it because what is great about that film is not the graboids. I'm not like I'm hungry for more graboids. It it's that it, the whole world itself is really clever, and like you said, uh, Rich, it really builds that town beautifully, and 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 the siege gets smaller and smaller and smaller at the same time, it's becoming wider and wider and wider, and it's and those characters as well is fantastic. But like, I don't actually care about the graboids in themselves, and so graboids and other other scenarios. It isn't, do you know? I mean, there's, there's not. Yeah, that, that's not the point for me. I think that just about wraps it up for Tremors. Uh, we'll be back in a sec uh, with a news roundup. There was no San Diego Comic-Con this year, but there was Comic-Con at home. Uh, That's just happened over the weekend. Uh, Did anyone catch anything and was anything that excited you? I um, liked... uh, There were loads of trailers and I uh, enjoyed the the Boys 2 trailer. And they announced a, a Boys 3 season already right for Amazon yes I mean they're pretty confident though I mean the first season was great yeah I thought the boys was great and um, did you guys see that clip they also released which was horrible but so very funny of the whale yeah (laughs) (laughs) well well, they've they've already had it in for dolphins I know I know so they've really they've really doubled down uh in that clip and I did I think it's yeah I think it's uh, it's funny that in in the um the kind of the DC superhero Aquaman for years has been the kind of the subject of ridicule and then they tried to sex Aquaman up for the new DC universe and I think it's almost like the boys have just gone no our version of Aquaman is genuinely terrible the uh, the way that we always mocked Aquaman man for being that's how bad he is the most chilling thing in that i've seen on tv for ages was in that first season of um of the boys when um the the, the heroes fly up to rescue the 
plane that was mm. coming down and in almost the inverse of of in like superman returns when he saves the, the, the plane coming down they they realize they can't do it so they just leave them all to die and they, they don't even want to save anybody they're not even try because it's uh they it would expose the fact that they haven't done it right and and i that whole scene when he when homelander just decides to abandon the plane is is horrific um yeah it's brilliant and of course he's walking down the aisle saying yeah you're gonna be fine you're gonna be fine knowing full well that they're all gonna die like yeah, yeah it, it was a great great moment carrying on the superhero theme there was also a trailer for hellstrom which is a marvel tv show it's, it's kind of like a horror um what, what did you think of that one he's um part of that kind of um marvel um horror magical um uh, uh, milieu that includes Ghost Rider and Dracula. Uh, one of the things I really like about the Marvel Universe actually is that it can sustain so many different kinds of stories. You kind of get quite high fantasy with kind of Thor, and you get kind of street level stuff with the, the New York heroes and the Punisher, and so. And then you, you kind of get your your Avengers, but but so many other things as well. I mean, I I, I quite like um, Cloak and Dagger as well, which is which is on TV. But but mm-hmm. with this one, um, yeah, it's it's he's he's a um, uh, Damon Hellstrom is aligned with like Ghost Rider. I think in the comics he fights alongside Luke Cage for a bit as well. Um, but you know he's certainly not a he's not an Avengers level uh, level of awareness. No, he's, he's, a, he's a smaller character. But but I, I, yeah, I, I do like the fact that the Marvel universe can can sustain all those different kinds of stories. And this is from that the the, the kind of magical you know um, horror part of the part of the Marvel universe. I thought it looked quite interesting. And yeah, I think you're right. You know, yes, it's, it has you know. Like even the, the color palette is very horary tones to it. Um, the trailer didn't give that much away, I thought. So it's difficult. To, I mean, I will look out for it because I love my horror. But um, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was intriguing. His his dark materials was at Comic Con. Uh, the big headline there seems to be that uh, Andrew Scott's a demon will be voiced by uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge in a uh, Philip Pullman influenced uh, Fleabag reunion. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's awesome. I think that was definitely one of the big takeaways, <laughs> and lots of like hot priest jokes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say the first series of his dark materials was so wonderful, wasn't it? I mean, I just thought it was that fantastic. was just brilliant. So I can't wait to see more of that. And I mean, you know, in in um, comparison to the film, which really didn't work, it, the, the series was just such a joy and felt so much more honest and sort of true to the book. But yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see the next series. They were quite brave with it as well in that they weren't st- sticking like re- totally rigid to it, like introducing Will, who's such a key player yeah. in see, the second and third books, but actually making him important in the first series. So you actually get a hint of what's to come. And it's totally true. And it, and it makes absolute narrative sense that you'd have his life and then this other thing going on com- uh, concurrently. But tell me you didn't find his stuff a bit more boring than all the other stuff. Because I kept being like, oh, I get it, I get it. But can we just go back to all the other stuff now, please? <laughs> yeah, and Ruth Wilson really is, shines in it as well. Because, again, she's creepy, cool. Mm. Don't know where her head is at. Don't know if she's going to kill you or love you sort of vibe to her. Yeah. I like the idea as well that they were going to have a standalone episode for Lord uh, Azrael, so McAvoy's character, because he sort of disappears at the end of the first season and then not supposed to reappear for season three. And I was a bit gutted when I heard that that wasn't going to happen because of the pandemic. So I like the idea that even though obviously they've got loads of material from the books, they're still looking at doing, uh, doing their own thing as well. Uh, we also found out at Comic-Con that there is going to be yet another new Star Trek TV series. Um, <laughs> they're going mad for Star Trek. They can't get enough of it. Prodigy. Star Trek Prodigy. This is Nickelo- yeah, Nickelodeon's take. It's going to be Star Trek for kids. Um, yeah, I want to give it the benefit of any doubt. You know, I, I, I don't see why kids shouldn't get a bit of Star Trek. 
it feels like they're trying to take a leaf out of Star Wars playbook. Um, I mean, the Star Wars uh, has very successful uh, animated series um, uh, with the Clone Wars and, and Rebels, um, uh, you know, being very successful and, and, and great extensions of the of, of the show. Not not to mention, you know, um, all, all the spinoffs that come with it, books and comics and things. And, and so Star Trek branching out into um well we saw in our in our last episode we we looked at the the um uh the lower decks um uh release and now and now they're they're talking about prodigy yeah i mean i you know i it, it does seem like they're they're following the footsteps where star wars has been very successfully before but why not you know it's a successful path and and yeah i think there are stories to tell there did you see that scene from lower decks that yeah. they released yeah it was a bit crazy wasn't it <laughs> it's very odd that you get this very star trekky music and this very star trekky spaceship and space dock and then there's people joking about Klingons and getting drunk on Romulan whiskey. <laughs> I have a feeling it's going to be a very strange show. It seemed high schoolish to me. There was like the class nerd. There was the, you know, the rebel who's too cool for school. There's the jock type character. So all the different ensigns taking those kind of roles. And uh, so, yeah, it's like high school in space maybe <laughs> we know it's kind of set basically after star trek nemesis but is anyone else getting a little bit hung up on is it canon just like this idea of what would happen if jean-luc picard walked in on them behaving like that <laughs> they wouldn't do it again probably not <laughs> well they didn't really reveal very much about about the uh, picard no. show did they it was just banter nothing between about, him and his former castmates absolutely nothing about picard or section 31 the new georgia show or what's going to happen in season three much of discovery to be honest so they did reveal that season three of star trek discovery um it's got a date right it's going to premiere on october the 15th 15th of october yes and and actually star trek discovery season three is very exciting because it really is going where star trek hasn't gone before because it's going way into the future so i'm really intrigued to see what they do with that some of the biggest headlines kind of happened away from Comic-Con where there was a, a special Justice Con that seemed to be devoted entirely to Zack Snyder's uh, new cut of um, Justice League. I mean, how do you feel about that film generally? I mean, I didn't love Justice League, I have to admit, the, the, the Joss Whedon version. Do we need to see another version? It'll be four hours, allegedly. So four hours of, uh, of that. I don't know how we feel about that. I mean, I, 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 I am walking away from that, to be honest. <laughs> I just... <laughs> Uh, but you know, but Superman's going to be in a black suit, so it'll all be different. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I agree. I, I'm, I'm not. I know that the internet. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there were there were fans who went wild for the Snyder cut. I'm, I'm not. Um, I'm not overly. I'm not overly excited. I want to see it. It's just out of interest. You know, just morbid intrigued. curiosity. <laughs> I, not necessarily morbid, but I, I just to see the different. You know, do the spot the difference. I think I'll wait for the YouTube video that takes all the spot the difference clips and puts them in one, and then that'll be what like fifteen minutes. I'll watch that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very sensible. Other non Comic Con news. Uh, we've just heard there's going to be a new Witcher prequel on Netflix. Um, the Witcher was obviously big news at the end of last year, and this is a prequel set 1200 years before do we need more witcher well it's a great universe i mean there there have been um many books uh in in the series and uh, you know um a, a number of games um three witcher games and 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 spin-offs like gwent and so on and and, and um it's enormously popular so it's it's a it's a you know it's a it's a very expansive universe so i, I think there's there's definitely stories to, to to tell in there the kind of witcher period that the tv show and the the games and things are set in 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 that period the 
the kind of um, non-human races like elves are kind of diminished and subjugated. And I, I think this is going to be set in a time when they're not. So there's there's some in, there's some interesting, more fantastical stuff they, they, they can do there. I have not watched The Witcher and don't know The Witcher, but I would say that, like, I know it was very, very successful when it was on Netflix. And I think that, like, while um, studios are scrabbling around for new IP all the time, that something which isn't um, a superhero or, or a comic book thing and is scratching people's itch, I think that's not that can't can't be a bad thing, can it? I mean, if it's something that people love, I mean, I don't know. I, w- I wonder whether with something like Cursed, for example, there's a taste for fantasy that's coming back that we haven't seen so much of in a little while. It's often been said that during times of uh, of, of kind of great stress and stress and hardship, people turn to escapism more than they maybe other times. So perhaps fantasy, fan- sort of second world fantasies. Um, where, where you know fantasy is set in a in, in an idyllic other other world is exactly what we need at the moment. The other thing that I'm quite excited about is I love the trailer for Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted face the music. Um, they've um, they, they, there's a trailer for that. Um, I, I I think it looks great. I love the Bill and Ted films. <laughs> oh, the, the first they're two awesome. are fantastic. I, I I like the fact they're acknowledging that they're they're older and and this the, the hook being that. They haven't made it. They haven't written the song that saves the universe. And basically the whole point of their existence, they're, they're questioning themselves. But these are two guys who are just naturally positive. So the, I, how that comes together looks fantastic. I, I'm really, really I think excited was, about it. That's one of the ones that's going to streaming, am I right? Yes, it correct. is going to streaming. And I yeah. think that's really the right move for that film because I think that film looks like it could be like just super sweet and really nice and really positive and really feel good and not something where you're like you're anxious about being in the cinema in the first place and it's cost you a million pounds and you might be doing the wrong thing. Like that's something that I think people will probably pay some money to watch in their house and make that like a real success. Mm. I think that's a good choice. The only worry I have now is how are the current generation going to view Bill and Ted, um, whether they're making it for them or whether they're just making it for people like us. There'll be a lot of kids who've grown up watching it. Their parents have said, you should watch this. You know, maybe they they weren't listening at history lessons. You know, they wanted to show them Miss of Arc and Socrates. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it'd be interesting because um, Keanu Reeves' reinvention is this kind of... um, uh, Of the Keanu sons. Uh, yeah, as a, as the sort of genre defining John Wick character, and 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 you know from the Matrix onwards as an action hero. When he did Bill and Teddy, he wasn't that. And sort of see, it, it felt to me really strange seeing him not not as a destructive action hero again. And I wonder how people raised on a uh, you know in a sort of post Matrix John Wick kind of world will 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 view will view the, the character he plays. But I quite like the trailer. Does hint the fact that they play around with time again. I, I think it, it does kind of the Bill and Ted films do timey wimey things in a way that only only Doctor Who otherwise can really get away with. And it seems in the trailer they this this next one they're going to go to the future to steal from themselves to bring back something they need which messes with causation in exactly the same way as they do in the previous film where they go back and they have to go remember to go back in time later to get the thing that they need which you know is a is a loop that, that no one else really does and i, I um you know it is is kind of fame bill and ted uh when talking about time paradoxes bill and ted is, is kind of the example that, that people often point to as of kind of telling a story that that is incredibly circular i think as well it looks like a film that's been made a lot out of love you know mm-hmm. obviously Keanu Reeves uh, Alex Winter their characters are very important to them but writers Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson they actually wrote the script without owning the rights to it you know they just went out and wrote it hoping that they get to make it which is is fantastic you know, it just shows how much they love these characters <laughs> I mentioned Bill and Ted to my daughter um she's not seen it but she, she now knows the idea of it and she has inadvertently suggested an idea for a British equivalent known as Tim and Bob 
Presumably they'd have quite a good jaunt or something. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think the British equivalent to Bill and Ted is Wallace and Gromit, actually. <laughs> <laughs> they have a big day out, isn't that? A grand day out. A grand day they out, did. yeah. So it's the equivalent of an excellent adventure, but you know, in Britain it's a grand day out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that just about wraps things up for today. Thank you ever so much, Rosie Fletcher, for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks, Rosie. Thank you, Rosie. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday, the 12th of August, when we'll be re-watching Flash Gordon. That's the 1980 movie, not the TV show from the noughties that got cancelled after a season. If you have anything you want to say about Flash Gordon or to get in touch about anything else, follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Robbie Sci-Fi. Uh, remember, that's Robbie with a Y. Also, please remember to subscribe and rate us. Uh, you know, you can leave nice comments as well wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.